Greetings and welcome back to Mishnah Yomi, the podcast program sponsored by the Orthodox Union, hosted here at OU.org. In each one of these podcasts, we typically study two Mishnayot following the sequence and calendar publicized by the International Mishnah Yomi. Uh, my name is Yitzchak Yat Shalom, and uh, it's been my delight to study Masachik Tubot with you. And uh, sadly, we come to the end of Masachik Tubot, and there's only one Mishnah left. So in this final podcast, we will have to uh, satisfy ourselves with the study of the final Mishnah. Hakom Malin Eretz Yisrael. This is Perak Yod Gimel Mishnah Yod Aleph. Hakom Malin Eretz Yisrael, meaning either a husband or wife can force the other to make Aliyah to move to Israel. Vein Hakom Motzin, but they can't force to leave. Hakom Malin Nushalayim. If you're in Israel, either one could force the other. Meaning, the husband could say either make Aliyah. Or if she refuses, he gives her a get without a ketubah. And she, on the other hand, can say, I want to make Aliyah. And if he refuses, then he's forced to divorce her and pay the ketubah. Uh, the same thing is in Israel. That um, anyone can force a move up to Shalim, but not a move away. This applies equally to either spouse. Now we're going to talk about the issue of the shibud of the ketubah. The financial debt occurred when one marries. If a person married in Eretz Yisrael, and divorced her in Eretz Yisrael, she pays her in Eretz Yisrael coins. That's easy. This is when it gets difficult. If he married her in Eretz Yisrael, but then they went to Turkey and to the town of Kaputkaya, which was a well-known minting town in the uh, classical world, he still pays her with Ma'ot Eretz Yisrael. But let's flip it. If you married her in Kaputkaya, where the money is worth more, and divorced her in Eretz Yisrael, because the position of the Chachamim here is the Ketubah is the Rabbanan, and therefore um, the, we always use the lenient coin. Who holds that Kutubai is the Araita says you have to give her Mount Kaputkai because that's where you married her, and therefore the Shibud kicks in. That last one is a little bit easy. If you married her in Kaputkai and divorced her there, then of course you're going to pay her from Kaputkai funds. Okay, we will uh, sign off. And Adranalach Masachik Tubot, we've had an enjoyable time studying together, and you are left in the able hands of the next Magichir to study Masachik Netarim. Everyone should have a wonderful day. Today we begin our study of Mishnayos Masachis Nedorim with just Perak Aleph, Mishnah Aleph, the first Mishnah of the first Perak. The word nedorim is usually translated as vows. A neder is a vow. Specifically, our Masechta is dealing mostly with nidre isur. That means a vow in which a person says that a certain object, whether food or whatever, is prohibited to him as if it were a korbon, as if it was a sacrifice. There's a fundamental distinction between a shvua, which we will translate as an oath, which one swears, versus a neder, which is a vow which one makes. A shvua is an oath which a person makes that he will or will not do a certain thing. He will eat a certain food or he will not eat a certain food. He is therefore placing an Isur upon himself as a gavra, as a person, as a subject. 
A neder is an isur, a prohibition, which is placed upon a chefza, an object, in which he says, such and such an object should be prohibited to me as if it were a holy sacrifice, as if it were a korban. So a shvua is an isur gavra, an oath is an isur which a person accepts upon himself, qua subject, whereas a neder is a vow <coughs> where a person labels or designates a certain object as being prohibited to him as if it were a korban. We will learn many specifics about this distinction and many details about the way in which one makes a neder. But a full-fledged, bona fide, 100% neder is, when I say, for example, bananas are now prohibited to me as if they were a korbon, as if they were a holy sacrifice. Then the bananas become a, an object which for me personally is now also is prohibited. The source of the prohibition, of course, is the Parsha in Parsha's Matos, where the Posuk reads, Ish ki yidor neder lashem, if a person utters a vow, etc., lo yachel devoro, he should not break his word, but rather, kachol hayotse bipiv yase, he should do exactly what he said he would do, in this case, not to eat bananas. The Mishnah begins by saying that not only is a neder um, valid if I explicitly say that the food, the bananas in our example, should be prohibited like a korbon, but even if instead of using the word korbon, I use another word which means korbon. We will see that that could mean a word in another language or a special language which the Chazal invented rather than have a person say the word korban. The classic example for this is the word konom, which is a word which means korban, but it is merely a kinoi. It is not real Hebrew expression for a holy sacrifice. Rather, it is a kind of a substitute word, a nickname, if you will. So the Mishnah says, Kol nedorim kanedorim. If a person utters a vow, a neder, without using the word korban explicitly, but instead using some substitute word like konom, it's equally valid. V'charomim kacharomim. A person can designate certain objects to be are prohibited in a certain way, which is known as a cherem. We will learn details about the nature of a cherem. But when it comes to charomim, the plural of cherem, here too, if one does not use the actual word cherem, but uses another substitute word, like cherech, charomim kacharomim, those substitute words, those kinuyim, are also as valid as a Explicit cherem. Ushavuos kashavuos. When a person makes an oath and swears that he will do or not do a certain 
activity, even if he does not use the words, the explicit words, but rather uses kinuyim, he uses uh, substitute words, that oath is also valid. Unazirus kanazirus, when a person accepts upon himself to conduct himself as a nazir, not to drink wine, not to come into contact with the dead, etc. And he does so not in the explicit language of nazir, but in some substitute language called kinuye nazirus, those commitments to nazirus are just as valid as nazirus in the proper language. So until now, the Mishnah has just made a statement about one alternate form of nedorim, etc., and that is the alternate form of kinuyim, when instead of using the real language, you're using some substitute language. There is another category of kind of quasi-nedorim, quasi-vows, or half-expressed, incompletely, only partially expressed vows, which are also valid, and they are known as yodos, literally, the hands of a vow. In other words, the full statement of a vow is not made, but there's enough of a statement made so that we understand clearly that the person's intention was to make a vow. The examples of yodos, some examples of yodos, are given in the next lines of the Mishnah. Ha'omer lechavero, if a person says to his fellow, Mudorni mimoch, I am hereby vowed from you. He doesn't say explicitly that I am making a vow not to eat your food, not to stay in your shelter, etc. He doesn't say that, but rather he just says Mudrani mimoch, or mufroshni mimoch, I am separate from you, I am distinct from you, or meruchokni mimoch, I am distant from you, she'eni or she'ani ocheloch, that I will not eat from your food, she'eni toamloch, I will not taste your food also. In this case, the person did not say specifically, my friend Shimon, I am hereby placing a neder, vowing a neder upon your food, that your food is to me as if it was a korban. That's a full-fledged neder. He didn't say that. He just says, I'm removing myself from you. I won't eat your food. That's a yad. That's a handle or a hand of a neder. It's not a completely explicit statement, but we know very well what the person means. And yodos nedorim kinedorim, the hands or the abbreviated statements of vows are also valid. But suppose the person says menude aniloch. Now nidui is a process which we will also learn more about, by which a person is, we would use the word in English, excommunicated. Usually a Beisdin, for various reasons, will place a person in a nidui, will place him in a state of excommunication. But suppose I say to you, minude ani loch, I am excommunicated, I am apart, distinct, separate, out of the camp, out of your camp. Is this 
a sufficient, um, the explicit statement, so that it will equal a neder, or perhaps he means excommunication, which for an individual to excommunicate himself means nothing. So it's a question. And Rabbi Akiva Rabbi Akiva literally rubbed his lips together. In other words, he was inclined to be stringent, to be strict in this matter, and to consider it a complete nether, a valid nether. He wasn't entirely sure about it, but he kind of leaned in that direction. Now, normally, Chazal and the Torah itself looks askance at a person who makes vows, who just freely, uh, frequently uh, offers sacrifices, and certainly a person who makes oaths for all kinds of uh, reasons. Uh, such a person is looked at as a rosha, as a, as a wicked person. That's not the thing to do. And we will learn again more details about this, but that's the general attitude. So that if a person says, Kenidre Rishoim, I am hereby making a vow as the wicked people make vows, then Nodar ben Nozir uvekorbon uvishvua. The Gemara explains that if a Nozir is walking by someone and that someone says, Hareni Kenidre Rishoim, I too want to uh, apply to myself the vows of the wicked. Well, that is a Kabbalah's Nazirus. He has thereby committed himself to also be a Nazir. If an animal, <coughs> one's own animal, is walking by, and a person says with reference to this animal, a cow, a goat, a sheep, Kenidre Rishoyim Olai, I am accepting the vows of the wicked with reference to this animal. So this Korban is now a, uh, a Korban. A nether a vow has been made. If a loaf of bread is before me, and I say, I am making a vow as the wicked do, not to eat this bread. In all these cases, the uh, vow or the oath is valid. Because... A person who says the word Nidre Rishoim is saying, I want to be like these Rishoim who freely make vows and oaths. However, if a person says, I am making a vow, Kenidre Chesherim, as Koshira people do, as upstanding, fine, law-abiding citizens do, Lo Maklum, he said nothing. Because law-abiding, upstanding, properly behaving people don't make vows. And therefore, if you say, my vow is like the vow of a person who is kasher, who is uh, proper and seemly and wonderful, then the vow is meaningless. The words are meaningless. There is no vow. Kenidvosom. However, if a person does not say kenidre kisherim, I'm making a vow a neder, when it applies to a korban, means when a person says, I hereby commit myself to bringing a sacrifice from my sheep. That's a neder. And people who are kasher don't do that. But if you say, sum, which is a type of a vow too, but it's a vow where there is a gift. I take the sheep 
And I say, this sheep, zo korban. This is now a korban, shlomim, a korban, olo, whatever. So that's a direct gift that people who are kasher do, do. So therefore, if a person says, not kenidrei kasherim, but kenidvos kasherim, then nodar benazir, if he says that with reference to Nazirus, he says, I am a Nazir, like Nidvos Kesherim. He is a Nazir because Kesherim in do, indeed, sometimes do make vows to become Nazirim when they do it legitimately for the sake of heaven for good reasons. Uve Korbon. Similarly, if one of my animals, cow, sheep, goat, is walking before me, and I say, This sheep is like a nadova which kasherim give, it's binding. It is a valid vow. Because this is a nadova, and kasherim are careful that whereas I do not make nadorim, which is just open commitments because they may not fulfill it, but they do make specific commitments. This sheep, this goat should be a korban. And then that vow is indeed valid. So we have finished lesson number one of nadorim, which is Mishnah 1, Perak 1, Mishnah 1.